Hi there, Ilona Thompson with Palette Exposure. I'm very excited to introduce you to the chef by the name of Nate Singer. Over the years, I've had a good fortune to interview many culinary heroes, celebrity chefs and like, and had some fantastic conversations. However, this one is unlike any other. Nate comes from humble beginnings that were rich in experience and lessons in self-sufficiency. His skill set is quite diverse and unique, and his mentors came from all walks of life, from ethnic old-school cooks to world-renowned celebrity chefs. He learned from the best and mastered the art of butchery, charcuterie, and many others. But perhaps most importantly, he became a researcher, a philosopher, and an advocate that thinks a great deal about food consumption and the effect that it has on each and every one of us. So if you're a meat lover, happen to be on a keto diet, or simply care about the integrity of what goes into your body, you cannot afford to miss this conversation. As little consumers, we shy away from the difficult conversations, such as commodity markets and where food really comes from. Nate believes that food is medicine, and I invite you to find out why. It's a beautiful drive, I'll never forget it. And I would get up to York Beach, and we would just cook really delicious Italian food, make homemade pastas, all the beautiful things up there. And so that's where I started doing that stuff too, was working up in Maine. Um, obviously that wasn't enough for me, you know? In a, in a block from my house in Kittery, Maine, there was a small little mom and pop butcher shop that was opening. I saw the window on the sign, it said opening this date, you know? And I was so excited, I was like, whoa, like right here, there's gonna be a, a European style butcher shop. And so I started trying to figure out who it was, you know, and try to figure out what's up. And so I had to show up there about 4.30 in the morning one day to try to catch the owner. And I uh, opened the door and I said, hey, man, my name's Nate. Um, I want to cut beef with you. I'd love to train. Yeah. You know, and he, at first he just said, nah, I mean, we can't do that. Sorry, bud. Like, just a mom and pop operation. I can't afford any employees. It's all me and my wife, you know, I can't do mm -hmm. it. And so I was like, all right, I understand. So I, but I kept going back, you know, and I'm like, hey, I'll just come work for you, man. Like, you don't have to pay me. Like, I'll come in and cut meat with you if you train me. And I took the white belt mentality. And I call it the white belt mentality because, you know, you go in like you don't know anything. You're open book to learning. And so he opened up his book to me. I dedicated my time in the mornings. I would go in there at 5 in the morning. And we'd cut from about 5 to 8, 5 to 9. And that's where I learned to break down whole beef carcasses. And that was from Rook. Jared Spangler is his name. He's awesome. Great guy. Him and his wife are the best people. And they own a shop called Maine Meat in Kittery, Maine. And so that's where I really started getting into the whole animal butchery outside of pig butchery for Salumi. So that was a butcher shop front. It was the first real butcher shop I ever worked in. So that was awesome. You know, what good experience. So my days were packed. Like morning I was staging from 5 to 8 and then I would go to Vita and do a meat program and then I would go to Gigi's and cook line service and then I'd come home and it was so funny because at Gigi's those guys got to where they would just set up the line for me and I would just walk in and cook for three hours and then leave you know what I mean just help them through service and so everybody was on the same team getting it done and my everything happened and my job started ending there you know my consulting and all this and the seasons were ending and I was like you know I need to figure out how I can make New England my home. You know, I'm not from here. 
um, I stand out here because I don't know it here, so I can't preach it, you know? I can't preach New England to, these, to the guests. Like, it's not in me. Mm -hmm. So I had to discover, like, what New England was for me, and I needed to root myself there to even exist in my mind, you know? And um, I got an opportunity to interview at Applecrest Farms, which is the oldest functioning apple orchard in America. And my friend there, my now friend, who I was interviewing with, his name is Patrick Soucy. Um, he was the chef at Saya. He was a star chef um, as well. Saya uh, in Newburyport, Massachusetts. And beautiful restaurant, awesome chef. They were doing a really expensive build out on the old barn and converting it into a state-of-the-art restaurant with wood-fired ovens and everything going on where you could see over the fields and you had your own gardener, you had all the apples, you had everything to your expense there. And I started interviewing with him and I was like, this is going to be awesome. And about my fourth, fifth interview in, um, they called my references and they called Hosea. Hosea goes, what? You're looking for work? thought you were set up out there. I said, no, ma'am. I'm in limbo right now, trying to decide. And he goes, well, you want to come back to Boulder? I'm going to open a restaurant. And I said, oh, hell yeah, I'll come back to Boulder, man. So I talked to my lady, and we went back to Boulder, showed up there, and he had opened a restaurant. So it was uh, called Black Belly. So no longer a catering company, but an actual, actual location, you know. And with that, we started kicking ass, and he wanted to open a butcher shop next. And that was kind of his ode to, his thank you to me, I think, you know, to kind of give me the chance to do what I wanted to do and to train and everything else. And so we built a beautiful butcher shop, a European-style butcher shop in Boulder, Colorado. And everybody called us crazy because Boulder's known for vegetables. <laughs> it's not known for meat like Wyoming is, you know. Mm -hmm. But we made it known for meat, and we brought this experience to the community where they could come get sandwiches and deli meats and terrines and cured meats. And, you know, I developed all the HACCP plans with Mark Dinez's team um, for Black Belly. You know, we had 17 recipes through um, three different species, you know, for cured dried meats that are HACCP approved where we could produce them legally. And so I had a whole HACCP team that I had to train my butchers through to where we were protocol. We were the first state inspected curing plant in Colorado, pretty much, in Boulder. So got the first license in Boulder for cured meats. It was awesome. And our butcher shop's so busy, so busy. And at one point we'd go through, um, every two weeks we would go through a cow, a half a bison, eight pigs, seven lamb, and then you go on the line, you know, 45 ducks and 70 chickens and whatever else, you know, but big carcasses hanging. And it was the style where you walk into the butcher shop and it's just a butcher block and you can watch all the butchers cut. It's a full-on experience, you know, for the guests. And so we were right, located right next to Ball Aerospace in Boulder. And so a lot of um, educated people coming in. And then we were, hospital popped up next to us. So then the doctors started coming in and the doctors started prescribing the meats to the patients pretty much, you know, what are you eating? How is this happening? Oh, you need to eat grass-fed like meats, you know, to counteract the fats and whatever yeah. else is going on. Um, people started coming in and asking for livers and asking for brains and all these different things their doctors were saying to try to eat, you know, to help them out. And it turned into an awesome little shop, like beautiful shop, and I trained an awesome team. And they were great, and there was a restaurant connected to it, the Black Lady Restaurant. It's beautiful food. So we had three different teams, the restaurant, the butcher block, and the catering team that we all operated together on. And it was awesome, like beautiful and great. And so 
I trained my team and my apprentice ended up taking over the job. So he trained him for about five years and you know he grew up and he was a friend from my hometown and he took the job and uh, yeah, they just kept kicking ass and from there um, I left Black Belly and I started working with Carter Country and Carter Country Meats is the beef company from Tent Sleep, Wyoming and I'd been buying their beef for seven years at that point or no, it was probably five years at that point and they started as a cow-calf operation and they grew into a tradition of raising what we coined as double-aged beef and it's selling older animals and so on our search for healthy fats they weren't out there we had mm. to create them because when you're talking about fats you don't want to eat GMO corn fat you don't want to eat any of that stuff it's not good for you but what you want to eat is healthy grass fat and so we dug into the cow with the rancher RC Carter and he would send me whole carcasses and we would age them and anywhere from you know four to twelve years old is what we started with and he happened because he was pushing cattle on his ranch in Wyoming and he was riding behind an old cow that didn't have a baby that year she was she wasn't pregnant and she was really fat because she stored all the fat and so we learned that killing animals from three years to twelve years old that they naturally start to fatten without any grain around four to five years old and so that's what we were really focused on was when does that fat start developing inside the muscles and so when you look at muscles you think about like a, opening up a pack of spaghetti and you look at all the tips of them and that's like muscle fibers and as the cow grows those expand and whatever it eats gets trapped in between all those and that's where marbling comes from that's where flecking comes from and if you have an aggressive corn diet of 26 pounds a day, you're feeding like in the commodity lots, you have what they call a lightning bolt effect, and you have all this muscle, and then all of a sudden there's a giant white line through it because of aggressive feeding. And that's not healthy for the cow by any means. It triggers a whole reaction to their body, makes them sick. They pretty much start dying the minute that they start eating that GMO corn. So that's why you're eating sick animals, and that's why we have the FDA and the USDA fighting to put regulations on mad cow disease and all this because they're raising sick animals to feed people. And so we didn't want to do that, and so it was a better way. And so RC being the guy that he is at his ranch, he takes care of the land, and he can use these animals to take care of the land the way he does. Um, and for me in Boulder, I had a talk point, and I had something that nobody else had. Oh, we raise old beef, and this is why. These are the healthy fats, this is the healthy proteins. These animals graze 40,000 acres, you know, for seven years of their life. They eat 100 pounds of grass a day type of stuff, you know, all these things. And it's crazy because RC is such a good rancher, and he's such, you know, so involved with the animals that he does practices that you know, are very state-of-the-art. So, for one example would be he has a cow with a bladder inside of it. I don't know if you know what that is. It's, um, nope. it's like you actually cut a hole in the side of the cow and you put a washer with a door in it and it's a chamber to the stomach cavity. And so what you can do is, you, and he learned this in college, and so on our ranch we have one cow that has the, the bladder in it and so we can get into her stomach cavity at the end of the day see what they're grazing on and you can see if they're eating anything if you have any kind of grasses any kind of weeds any kind of poisonous stuff they might be eating mm -hmm. or grazing on and you can actually pull the contents out and look at it put it back in the cow if you want okay wow. and so with that there's a gut biome that breaks that down and she's healthy and so instead of using antibiotics 
the antibiotics kills everything in your animal. We use probiotics and we use that by gut juice. And so we have a pump. If we have a sick calf, we'll bring her over and there's a pump that you put a hose inside of her belly and you pump the juice out of her stomach into a bottle and it's very fragile material. It goes bad instantly. And so you gotta pump it out and then another hose, hook that up and pump it into the sick calf's stomach. It's like a transfusion, basically. It's a transfusion, exactly. Cure them like that, like two days Stunning. a day, you start seeing results because it, the cow doesn't have to rebuild itself. You're fixing, you're curing it naturally. And so those type of techniques, I can't go into them all right now, but RC is amazing, amazing rancher. And that's where I partnered with him after Black Belly. And I was like, what this, what these guys are doing, this ain't like this drive, this push that these guys have, like that's my stuff. And they're from Wyoming too, where I was from. So it was natural. And so when I left Black Belly, I came back to Wyoming um, for a little bit and worked with Carter Country and we sold some meat and pushed the meat to Jackson and Denver and some high-end restaurants around the country. One of Mark Vetri's restaurants. Um, yeah, a couple different places you could say, but um, I still was connected in the Denver area with the chefs. And so once I left Black Belly, the other chefs just go, all right, Nate's not working anymore. Can you come help me do this? I need a meat program here, meat program here. And so for me, it was turning to consulting. And so I had all these people that were, were my friends and they wanted help. And so I'm like, I'll just start a consulting company and work with my friends and go in and, you know, do, redo their meat programs for them and, you know, be a chef if I need to be a chef or be a butcher if I need to be a butcher, whatever they need. And so I did that, you know, for another two years down there in, Bo in Boulder. And I helped open a couple different restaurants with people and worked with a awesome chef named Kelly Whitaker. He's so inspirational. He's freaking, he's the wheat guy. He grows wheat and he's feeding the community and he's doing the flour thing. And we always joke about know your meat, know your wheat. And it's the transparency burger, you know. Let's talk about, let's talk about things we eat every day, you know, and where does that stuff come from? And so they're raising wheat on like 6,000 acres in the San Luis Valley down in Colorado and then milling it in Boulder, Colorado mm -hmm. and selling it. Um, but he was awesome. So I teamed up with him and just kind of started hanging out around him, you know. Like, be your buddy dude like put me to work you know so he'd plug me into a couple different projects and kept me busy for a while um, and then he had a bunch of things lined up and the pandemic happened and kind of shut down everything for restaurant growth and starting new restaurants and all that and so I kind of decided okay like my time here like I, I felt like I did a really good job and I felt like you know I was had great friends and great connections and I can go back anytime and have a job but um, it was time to come home because to me Wyoming is the safest place during a pandemic like that. Makes um, sense. I have my system, we have our land, we have you know a place to be yeah. that, that is safe and um, when I came home to help my family you know for about a month at their restaurant after the pandemic trying to get it COVID friendly you know we had to redo sure. A club that was built in 1922. You know, we had to redo tables. We had to do. We had to, we had to rethink the whole business. And my brother, my older brother, did a great job at it. He's killing it out there, doing so well. Um, he put the put the place up on the market too, and so they're looking to sell it. You know, I think it's on the market for three million dollars right now in Cody, beautiful restaurant, and uh, they're just killing it. And so they didn't need me there. Like they have their they have their stuff on lock, you know, and so yeah. all of a sudden I'm a free agent again, 
and um, I ended up doing livestock consulting um, with herds. And so um, there's a ranch in Wy in Cody that's a private ranch, and they were raising sheep, and um, they kind of got the drift of me because their livestock manager was from the Sabre Institute in Boulder, Colorado. You know, so he was like, "Oh, Nate's up here!" Like, blah blah blah. And so he got me in to talk about lamb and to talk about beef and to kind of see what the program was. And uh, when I was doing that and helping him, we were trying to put a proposal together for hair sheep in Wyoming and not wool sheep. And um, the chef ended up um, having a baby. You know, he's. Like I have a get having a baby coming, so I gotta leave. And so, yeah, chef had to leave town, and they asked me if I wanted to take the chef job for a while. And so, I you know contemplated it, and it was a it was a nice ranch, a lot of people, anywhere from like 10 to you know 120 people at any time. And um, it was tricky because the expectations were really high standard, and um, we were on a keto diet, so we were cooking keto for up to 100 people at a time. It was crazy, and it was really hard, and we had to revamp the whole kitchen because it was old, and it was an uphill battle, and it was a good, great, great project for the summer last year. And so um, working with them, I could still work with the livestock managers, and they were raising beautiful organic chickens and all these, all these meats because they wanted to be self-sustainable on their ranch. You know, they wanted to eat everything from their ranch. And so that program was great. The summertime was great out there. We had a busy, busy, productive summer. And uh, everything was starting to look up, you know, here. And that was last August, you know, when things were coming to a halt there. And I was like, all right, last end of August, like, I'm not going to sign up for this job again. I'm going to take off and I'm going to go live at Carter Country. So I packed up my bags and went to Carter Country and lived in a container house there that RC had built out of one of a shipping container. And so he put me in there and we started doing an R&D research on these old cows at his ranch. And so the first cow we slaughtered was about 2,800 pounds, which is huge for a beef. She was about seven years old, beautiful grass fat. I'll show you a picture. Like you show people a picture, they think you're in Spain. These kind of cows are amazing, and they're growing right here in Tensleep, Wyoming. And so I was intensely helping RC, and we were brainstorming a meat market to feed a community because of the meat shortages in the America. Like during the pandemic, yeah. my family, like my sisters, I got three kids, and she would go to the store to buy a ground beef to feed her kids, and they would only let her buy one pound. Where she had to talk to managers and be like, "How am I supposed to feed my family? Like, I can't even buy meat." And it's like, how do we have a meat shortage and where we raise meat? Like, yeah. we raise so much food here and it's not available to us here. Like, where does it all go? You know, and that's good question. what we started digging into. And we're yeah. like, why is it like this? This is it's a volatility, like in a system. It's, it's terrible. And so we're like, everybody's going to complain. Everybody's going to be mad about it. But someone has to think about solutions. And so me and RC really started thinking about solutions while I was living at Carter Country. And um, we came up with a model that we think is the answer. And we're putting it into fruition. And we actually applied to a grant last year in Wyoming, and they approved our grant. So Congratulations. Yeah, I'm really excited about that. And uh, we're getting ready to open here on the 19th. So it's coming up in about two weeks, our opening day at our meat market. Exciting. Downtown Tent Sleep, 250 people in the town beautiful little community and the beef is all going to be raised, you know, three miles from town right there. And so the idea is a centralized slaughterhouse. They can kill five cows a week, all 
underground, just can't even see it, like just peaceful, like it should be life, not death, right? Like when you look at a slaughterhouse, you're thinking that we eat meat for life, like we have to live, you know, and like these slaughterhouses are just giant, giant buildings and they're just, it's bad, bad to the commodity slaughterhouses, it's like not, some, not somewhere you want to hang out, yeah. you know? And for us, we want to build it so a rancher can build it, you know, on his property, where he can run off solar power, how he can run off water power, however it works for him, he can do it. But five cows a week, slaughter them, train a team of like three people to do it, and then you have stations, and the station that we started is called One Cow. And so the idea is they would use one cow a month or one cow a week if it gets busy enough. And so from the slaughterhouse, you pick your spot in a circle, draw a diameter, you know, a radius around it, and pick which communities need meat and which communities need, you know, local meat, number one. So out of one slaughterhouse, we can do five towns, right? And then there's more than five ranches. There's more, everyone's trying to sell their meat, but they're trying to sell it to the commodity market where they're making up the fucking prices. The ranches aren't making money. The ranchers, like, went from ha costing about $500 to kill a cow to $1,300 now. And that's out of the rancher's pocket because of the slaughterhouses. And they're pinching with the pandemic, and they're not killing as many, and it's more expensive. And it's killing the ranching business, you know, it really is. So we have to provide that solution for our neighboring ranchers. And I think this model can do it, you know. And so we're, it's, the model is a meat market with a hamburger. One item, it's called the grass-fed gold burger because we call grass-fed gold the fat because it's 100% grass-fed and the fat is just gold. Gold, gold, and it's the best hamburger you've ever had. And you can buy it online, actually, too. Um, on our hey, website, cool. cartercountrymeats.com, we drop ship nationwide. And if you go on that website, you'll see that we're paired with like Yeti Cooler Company, and you'll learn about the company and you know the other partners, the other brothers, like Mark, he's a professional snowboarder for North Face and TGR, and all these guys. And it's really fun to have a have a business where we all have our own lives too, mm -hmm. you know. But we're all on a mission to do the right thing, to be better. And we know we can't feed the country. We only have forty thousand acres, and we can only raise five hundred cows on it. Mm -hmm. but we can build a model and we can build a blueprint and we can show people how to do it because we need to preserve our land. Right now they're trying to take all of our land. The land's disappearing, you know, like the 30-30 the laws and you, all the legislation that's coming out and stuff. You're going to learn that it's, there's a big push against ranching and meat right now. And I don't know, they want to take 30% of public lands right now and protect it. Mm -hmm. And protected from who? From cows? From ranchers? Because that's what it is. It's all BLM land. And so that's the what we're up against right now. We're up against, you know, people saying that preg testing a cow is animal abuse. It's, it's sexual assault on an animal. You're up against them saying, putting in laws and legislation that you have to raise an animal to 25% of its ultimate life. You know how long a chicken lives? you know and they're doing this at the same time they're creating meat in a factory you know so what are they doing like they're taking the land just like they did from the indians by taking our food so it's scary you know in the west right now trying to save our land um, the death tax has changed to where you can only allot a certain amount of money to your kids nowadays 
you can't give them. So in some ranches, the situation would be if the old man dies, they're going to lose the ranch because of the new tax laws, even if the kids still run it, you know? So I think it's a bigger play on everything. It's a bigger play on the food system. I think it's what it is, and we have to learn to provide for ourselves, and we have to provide for our communities, and we have to feed people and be stewards of the land, because without cows on that land, and those grasses have the grasses, the wildflowers, they've all developed over time from when the bison were grazing this land. Like, it's the same stuff. And so for our old cows that live here in Ten Sleep, they are the closest thing to what the Indians ate in America, I would say, because they forage on the same grasses and the same wildflowers. We've documented over 31 different wildflowers and grasses on Carter Country with, you know, close to 20 artisanal springs they drink out of. And so the mineral-rich water is like, everybody wants to talk about what a cow eats. You know how much a cow drinks? Uh. Where is that water coming from in these big slaughterhouses? Where is all that water? Is it chlorine-filled water? Is it, like... Where does that come from? Cows drink water, too. There's that old joke, you know, like, how do you spell silk? You know, you can spell silk, right? Spell it. S-I-L-K? And what do cows drink? (laughs) Not milk, you know? That's what you want to say. Yeah. Cows drink water. So I always joke about that because people talk about what animals eat. And for us to have the artisanal wells that come from the ground in the Madison Formation in the Bighorn Mountains, that's such a mineral-rich water that's coming out of the ground hmm. and our cows drink it and that plays terroir into our beef and that's the bridge from high-end restaurants to our beef company is terroir and meat and when these chefs around the country when these when we're on tour doing things and they taste it they actually say your meat has terroir there's nothing that ever tastes like this that I've had and so for me in Boulder it was awesome to sell it and it was awesome to provide the community with that and to educate people because I had the platform that Hosea had built to do that and for me it um, really put me on a good spotlight too I won Zagat 30 under 30 award for you know rising star type of deal um, culinary innovator is what it was and I won a star chef award for an artisan for cured meats and so it was a great platform to get the word out about uh, the ranch and about why we do what we do you know and for black billy the goal was the first four years this is what we do and then i learned now we got to tell them why we do it you know and that's my my passion now let's talk about why we do it mm-hmm. not what we do and so that's where our voice is um, trying to carry through the communities of smaller people who have struggles, that have hard times, that raise that cattle, you know, for that penny. And there's hope out there, but it's going to take, you know, uh, people waking up and realizing that we have a volatile system. And, you know, the big companies in America that produce the meat for Americans aren't even American. You know, like you talk about JBS and all these, they're owned owned overseas, like Argentina, China, you know, Swift to China. It's like all these different companies aren't American meat, you know, and it comes in and that's why product of origin labeling in 2015, the ranchers in America were making money. And then when product of origin labeling went away, the price, ranchers went broke. And now they can bring in meat, repackage it and relabel it as product of USA. It's just like they do for you know, Wagyu, Japanese Wagyu, 
there's a lot of that. You know, that's a kind of a dirty system sometimes where there's stories where it comes up on a boat from New Zealand or Australia and it sits overnight on a boat in Japan and then it gets slaughtered and it's Japanese wagon. So it's all about the words. It's all about the marketing. and They're talking to us through labels, you know, and they're controlling people through labels. And it's a scary thing because it all goes back to that dollar and they're manipulating the dollar where I don't think the dollar is where it's at. I think the food is where it's at. I think food is medicine. I think food is currency. And I feel like we're going to a point in, you know, America right now where you have to hold on to what you have. You do, and you got to provide for the people that you provide in, because otherwise they're coming to take it. You know, it's it's tough. So we do what we do here in Ten Sleep, and I just so stumbled into a chef job at the Red Rifle Ranch, and that's where I met you again. And so I have a platform to talk once again to educated individuals from around the world that come to this guest ranch, which is state of the art, to understand what Wyoming, what the Wild West is. They get to be in the mountains, they get to shoot the guns and ride horses and ATVs. And on top of that, they get to eat food from Wyoming. And you get to hear about it, and you get to talk about it, and you get to enjoy it and just get into the passion of the presence of what we have here and the slower meanings of life. And you know, what, what do we want to do? Do we have to do that? We don't have to do that. So I don't feel like we have to conform anymore to the commodity markets. I really don't. You know, if we can um, break the break the the money, the dollar sign of you know them putting that dollar price on the cows in Wyoming and Montana, and someone not even here dictating dictating the price. I mean, what's a pound of hamburger worth to you? Is it worth a dozen eggs? Like, why can't we get back to that system? You're talking about barter? Yeah. yeah providing for your community, being a <coughs> part of your community, trying a little bit. A little bit of effort goes a long way. And a lot of people are takers and not givers. And I think a lot of people live um, in a world where they're not conscious of what they consume. We're consumers. You know, humans are. And if you can do your part to be better, like, the world's going to be a better place. And so every day we just wake up and we're thankful and we're blessed to be in like such a beautiful area with the people that we love and cherish and land that we want to take care of and land that we want to pass on to the next generation. You know, so that's our goal here is to really um, pass that torch. You know, as he says, we're on land, that we're on borrowed land. He's like, it's our job to take care of this land and to pass it towards the next generation and keep this land alive. And so for us, it's more about the land than it is the actual meat, you know? So that's why we're here. Yeah. Wow. Um, so first of all, on the personal note to those who are listening, um, I've been very fortunate to spend time on the ranch where you currently work, and um, I've never felt healthier for what it's worth. Actually, I was having a little conversation with myself yesterday. It's like I feel better physically no kidding, huh? after you feeding me for three days. So it's it's a fact. I mean, there's the practical piece yeah. of it. There's so much to unpack in what you described. Thanks again for tuning in to the official podcast of Palette Exposure featuring Alona Thompson. We'll see you again next week. <laughs>